Amen. Love that song, Shelley. All right, we, uh, we're going to continue our series this morning. Our series is called Perusia. This is the season of Advent. Uh, Advent is about the coming of Jesus. Advent is uh, the Latin word parousia is the Greek word. It means the same thing. It's about the coming of Jesus, and it's a time of preparation. And we've been uh, studying about how God was making preparations in the world before he fulfilled the first prophetic cycle, which is the first coming of Messiah or Jesus, the first prophetic cycle, God was making preparations for him to come into the world. And he called men and women to participate in preparing. And so we're discussing how he did that in the past. He's going to do that again at the second coming, the fulfillment of the second prophetic cycle, the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. That cycle is going to be repeated. So we're looking at the patterns that existed at the first coming of Jesus that will be repeated at the second coming of Jesus. And so everything that we're talking about today, usually people tell me all the time, that's so weird, I've never heard that before. It's like we've documented everything. So you can go to thefoundrypress.org, and you can uh, read the articles there online, and that's handy because it's got links, so you can click the links and go to the information. Uh, But all of these messages from this series are at the back. We're continuing a series, so if you want to know the story that maybe you haven't got to catch yet, you can get it at the back, or you can go to thefoundrypress.org and catch up there. So today we're on part three. This is today's message, and I've started off with a book that I'm assigning. We assign homework at this church. We do more than funny stories and heartwarming sermons. We're actually trying to train in the knowledge of God, and so we do homework. You don't get graded. Don't worry. You'll get your grade when you meet Jesus one of these days, right? So uh, this is a book that you can get for free. You can download it. Again, if you go to thefoundrypress.org and you access this article, you can click a link that will take you to this book. It's about the second coming of Jesus Christ and what Scripture has to say about that. Uh, It's a very interesting book. I just finished it recently, and uh, this is information knowledge we need to be training in. And so you can access that there. You can also order it from Amazon.com, those of you who only read paper information. But this is what we're doing. It says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 2, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We've been studying about the work of preparation that is necessary, it is required, in order for God to fulfill the plans and purposes that he has for us, for the earth, for his son, Jesus Christ. There is a season of preparation, and there it says, that work will be done at the second coming, at the fulfillment of the second prophetic cycle, the return of Jesus Christ, that work of preparation will be done. Now, I've said this before during the series, this is my particular calling. Uh, As God spoke to me very clearly early on in my ministry, my work was to prepare a bride for Jesus. That was 
That was what God spoke to me to do. And so I've been assigned to the Methodist church to do that work. I'm, I'm uh, here to proclaim this message to engage in this work of preparation. So you have homework, church. Training in this knowledge, doing this work, work of preparation, you, you have to understand, entails more than one hour on Sunday morning. Make it sure you're awake. This is work. It requires discipline. It requires effort. And whenever you begin developing the muscles that God is calling us to develop, you're going to find out this is actually really fun. This is fascinating, right? And so we're going to continue with this work. Gonna, I, I was debating as to whether or not to share this. Uh, but of course, you know, it's, you know I'm going to go there. So based upon all we have learned from how God worked in the first prophetic cycle, Bible prophecy is fulfilled in cycles. So it has been fulfilled in the past, that's true, but it hasn't fully been fulfilled to the extent that it's going to at the second coming of Jesus. So we have got a lot that we're looking forward to. Let's consider how God might work similarly in the second prophetic cycle. And that might be coming sooner than you think. Remember, the majority of the institutional religious leaders, now I realize I am one of those, right? At the first prophetic cycle, they were apostate and they were wrong in regards to what God was doing in their day and time. They missed it. Because their doctrine was wrong, especially in regard to biblical prophecy, they misunderstood the assignments and roles they were to play in God's unfolding plans and purposes. Not only did they not work with God, they actively worked as enemies. In contrast to the majority religious establishment, the marginalized minority or the remnant, the Bible uses that word remnant quite often, represented by the Zadok priesthood and the Essenes. The Zadok priesthood were the preachers and teachers. The Essenes were the church members. They were the ones trained under their doctrine and theology. They were in contrast to the religious majority. They were in agreement with God. And they were able to both cooperate and participate in what God was doing because they were trained in the correct knowledge. Now, it's for that reason that they would eventually disappear from the pages of history. We don't know anything about what became of the Essenes, right? You want to know why that is? They all became Christians. They were the first Christians. They comprised the early church, and that's why they disappeared. So let's discuss the problem. There's a major problem at the first coming of Jesus in the first prophetic cycle, and it's the problem of unbelief. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. <laughs> you scared to do that, aren't you? Let's first discuss the problem of unbelief regarding prophecy in the first prophetic cycle. Now, a lot of people are afraid of Bible prophecy because of goofy TV preachers, right? Correct? 
They're afraid of discussing it. They think we should ignore it, okay? That is foolishness. Just because there are goofy people who get crazy with Bible prophecy doesn't mean that we're exempt from studying it. That is a very bad mistake. The disciples, the disciples of Jesus, had unbelief because they were in agreement with the wrong prophetic doctrine of the majority religious establishment. People always say, because we we study the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, that uh, all of the nation of Israel had it wrong. Jesus was going to be a political leader when in reality he was coming to die on the cross, and nobody knew that. That's not true. The Zadok priesthood knew all of it. And they trained the Essenes in all of it. It was the religious majority who had wrong expectations. Now, let's look at how that wrong doctrine influenced the minds and hearts of Jesus' disciples. This is amazing. So I'm going to read through these scriptures. I'm not, don't worry, I'm not going to get through this whole, whole sermon. I'm going to leave stuff for you to read at home, right? But let's go get as far as we can. This is from Mark chapter 16, verse 9. I'm going to read a few verses of scripture. Now think about this, and don't think for a second that this couldn't be you. Amen? Mark 16, 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, talking about Jesus, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. Verse 12. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking in the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now bear in mind, think about this. Jesus had repeatedly told his disciples everything that was going to happen before it happened. And they still didn't believe it. Even when it was happening in front of their very eyes. Do you see the problem here, church? Let's look at Luke 24, verse 36, starting in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you, verse 37. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. It's like, even though they'd been instructed in the correct information, they default to fairy tales and Disney World fantasies about what's going on, right? Verse 38, and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and feet, that it is I myself, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet 
And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat here? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. It's like, if I could do sign language, I mean, what can I do to demonstrate for you this is really happening? Jesus is doing everything he can. Verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I told you, I showed you in Scripture, what more can I do? Let me have something to eat here in front of you. Everything is going to be fulfilled. Church, that is still true today. Everything written in Scripture that is predicted is going to happen is going to happen. It is a guarantee. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That is the thing the Holy Spirit the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit that indwells the minds and hearts of believers is what enables us to understand, if we get in agreement, if we choose to believe, it enables us to understand and participate in what God is doing here and now and in the future. It's amazing Jesus is standing right in front of his disciples in the flesh, just like he said he was going to do, and the disciples don't believe their lying eyes, Right? Remember, all of Israel was walking in madness. That same cycle is happening right now, and our minds are so jolted with things that we just can't believe are happening. We don't know what to believe. Don't get caught in that trap. You know what to believe, what is written in the pages of Scripture. One last verse, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed on the third day and be raised. So here's an example of Jesus telling his disciples exactly what's going to happen. And then look at what Peter responds. You know this story. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus, that's not right. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter, Jesus turned to Peter, and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance. Because you refuse to get in agreement with what Scripture predicts must happen, because you refuse to believe the prophetic message, not only are you not helping, you're actually hurting. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. The problem isn't a lack of understanding with Peter. It is blindness. It's blindness caused by a refusal to get in agreement with the plans and purposes of God. And this is the preparation. 
We are working, training our minds and hearts to get in agreement with the plans and purposes of God. Peter's hardness of heart towards the prophetic cycle that was unfolding caused him to work against God as an enemy. And church, we don't want to be in that position by being ignorant. Now I'm going to share with you, uh, we're going to switch gears here a little bit. That's an example of why not studying Scripture, not studying prophetic uh, understanding of Scripture. I can make the case that all of Scripture is prophetic. Even the cross of Jesus Christ is prophetic because it is an event that prepares the way for something else to happen in the future. Right? Everything in Scripture is prophetic. And so not studying this information just because it's difficult uh, is no excuse. And you can get it right. The Zadok priesthood showed us that picture. 200 years before Jesus came on the scene, the Zadok priesthood predicted everything that was going to happen to the day. It's amazing. We studied that in previous messages. The Zadok priesthood predicted the year that Jesus would be crucified and the day, Passover of AD 32. They wrote it down in their books based upon the prophecies of Daniel and other things. They called it as well as many other things. And so you can get it correct. Now I'm going to share with you why a correct understanding of biblical prophecy is becoming more urgent than ever. This is where we're going to get a little controversial. You know we never shy away from that here, right? So fair warning, this is going to make you nervous. I'm not nervous. I understand that you're nervous. I'm okay with that. Right? Are you ready? Buckle your seatbelts. Now, I always like to tell people, everyone is more than welcome to disagree with me in this church. And you're even welcome to tell me to my face. Some of you do it all the time, right? But here's what I would prefer. If you actually want to have some influence over my thinking on a certain topic, maybe you could have a justification for why you disagree with me, right? That would be persuasive to me. And so everybody's welcome to do that. Uh... We are a church that has retained some of our qualities as Methodists, even though we're not United Methodist anymore. We're still a people of open hearts, open doors, and open minds. Amen? We are a people, we are a culture where we think, we actually think about our faith, and we let think. Amen? There's no dictatorship here. So let's first consider the timeline of prophecy According to the Zadok priesthood, as they understood history, and even the history that we're living in right now. And so we're going to discuss the Zadok calendar. You'll, you'll see a picture of that. Uh, if you got the, the writing, this is the Zadok calendar right here. It looks like a sundial. So let's first of all understand some of the things you'll find in that calendar. First of all is a jubilee cycle. A jubilee cycle is a 49-year time frame followed by one year of jubilee. So uh, a Shemitah is a seven-year time frame. A jubilee cycle is made up of seven Shemitahs. That, that number seven uh, is repeated. Obviously, it's the number of God. Uh, it's a number repeated often in Scripture. It's the number of perfection. So seven 
Seven-year time frames is a jubilee cycle. And that's prescribed by Old Testament law. Now consider all that happened in the final jubilee cycle before the beginning of the current age of grace. That's the age that we're in right now. It began uh, as a consequence of the work of Jesus Christ. So in that jubilee cycle, in the first prophetic cycle, Jesus starts his ministry in 29 A.D., Upon his death, burial, and resurrection, the church was born on Pentecost 32 A.D. Possibly outside of Revelation, all of the books of the New Testament were written. The project of world evangelism begins with the destruction of the two temples, the Old Testament sacrificial system along with the Levitical priesthood is permanently abolished, permanently ending the age of Torah, or the age of the Old Testament. And notice the two ages overlap. So there is a phase of transition between the age of the Old Testament law and the beginning of the age of grace. These are all things we need to take note of because this prophetic cycle is going to be repeated. So all of these events, just to name the highlights, were accurately predicted by the Zadok priests, these are recorded in the Dead Sea Scrolls found in the, the deserts of, uh, of Israel, played out over a span of 50 years. Not only did they pinpoint the date of the crucifixion as being Passover of A.D. 32, they also called the date of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. These were both predicted hundreds of years in advance. Let yourself just kind of understand that's amazing right? Let me read to you what Josephus, the great Jewish historian, wrote about the Essenes. He says in his history, there are also among them those who profess to foretell what is to come, being thoroughly trained in holy books. Now, here it is. These men know what is to come, not because God's speaking to them personally, not because they're having dreams or visions or anything like that. They know what's to come because they're trained in the holy books. Do you understand? That is what is reliable, not somebody's dreams or vision or something God spoke to them. This is what's reliable. Being thoroughly trained in the holy books, various purifications and concise sayings of the prophets, rarely, if Ever do they fail in their predictions. So with that being said, let's take a closer look at the calendar from which the Zadok priest marked time. It's called the Dead Sea Scroll Calendar, or the Zadok Calendar. <clears throat> it's a circle because they understood time is not just this unending thing that's going to go on forever. There is a, a God-ordained amount of time that he's giving to do the work of creation. And like I said before, the, the uh, Second Temple Jews that were faithful, the New Testament, and the early church fathers all understood there to be seven days of creation, and so there will be uh, 7,000 years of human history. So that's what the Zadok priests are working off of. So this is the calendar. This is, uh, it's divided into ages, it's color-coded, so you can see the age of creation from Adam. Now, we're not saying the earth is 7,000 years old, we're just saying the work of God in human history is comprised of 7,000 years. 
So you've got the age of creation, that's from Adam to the time of Moses. That's 2,000 years. Okay? God giving the law to Moses and delivering the people from Egypt into the promised land marked the beginning of a new age, the age of Torah. That also lasted, and it's not a coincidence, 2,000 years. 2,000 years from Moses to Jesus. And that began, that marked the beginning of a new age, which would be the age of grace, the one that we're in right now. And if you look on the calendar, the little black dot is where we're at on their calendar. Give you two guesses as to how long they predicted that age was going to be. Right? 2,000 years. Now, according to the Zadok calendar, that 2,000 years from the time of Jesus to now, that final 50-year jubilee cycle will begin in March of 2026. That's not what I'm saying. I'm telling you what they were saying. Now, could they be wrong? Of course. But here's a better question. Is it likely that they're wrong? And I would argue it is not. I would argue this is something we need to pay close attention to. According to the Zadok priests, who were proven to be 100% accurate in everything they predicted, all of that's documented in Perusia Part 1. So if you wanted to get Part 1 back there, you can see all of the things that they predicted that actually came about. The beginning of the last 50-year jubilee cycle before the inauguration of the kingdom would start in March of 2026. Given that, let's operate on the assumption they might be correct and let's think through what we might expect from the coming decades. We need to be prepared. Scripture commands us to be prepared to do the work of preparation. This isn't just a fun exercise in conjecture. As we've seen from the original disciples' failed responses to the prophetic events, even though they were trained by Jesus himself personally, training in this information has very real implications for how we will stand or even if we will stand in the coming decades. Now, church, I'm going to end it right there. The rest of the message you'll find in there, you need to be training in this information. Because the Bible predicts repeatedly in many places, we are on the, the cusp of a great falling away. The Bible predicts there's coming an apostasy, a rebellion, which means a falling away from the faith. People are going to stop going to church. People are going to stop practicing and professing their faith. That's going to become the trendy thing to do. Churches out there are going to become apostate because they're going to do everything that they can to keep people coming and to keep the culture not at odds with them. You understand. They're going to try and fit in. That's coming. And just like the original disciples, don't think for a second that you aren't vulnerable from getting caught up in that. This is why we train in this information. That's why we document everything so that you can see for yourself 
That's exactly what it says. That's exactly what happened. You can click the links, and you can know for yourself, which is what you ought to do. You shouldn't just trust me. So we're going to stop there, but I highly encourage you to read the rest of that information because the work of preparation, Advent, is about preparing. God had to prepare for a baby to come. He had to prepare people's minds and hearts to get in agreement with what he was doing. And we're going to discuss next week the second coming of Jesus. Many people are going to be offended at what happens and what they witness because they had no idea. They had been fed a steady diet of soccer mom theology their entire lives. And they had no idea what to expect. Many people will be offended. And the Bible says, if you shrink back from me, in Hebrews chapter uh, 10, if you, str- if you shrink back from me, I will not be pleased with you. Church, we are to be preparing for the plans and purposes that God has for us that may well be unfolding in the coming decades. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of getting to witness what is written in Scripture and to receive a calling to actually participate in what you have planned. For an age that may be coming very soon, some people in this room may be alive when these plans and purposes come to fruition. And we are called to instruct and train and develop minds and hearts so that they will be in agreement with what you're doing, so that they can cooperate with what you're doing and even participate in what you're doing. And Father, I pray, as we've been discussing this for the past several weeks, you would cultivate people, church members, who are not just in training themselves, but they agree, I need to be teaching this to others. That is your calling. When you are baptized, you are baptized into a priesthood. You received a calling. You were ordained to not just become a follower, but a disciple maker. That means a teacher. So, Father, I pray that you would cultivate a community of teachers that are capable and effective at teaching people the knowledge and the wisdom and the truths of Scripture that are 100% going to happen. We thank you for that. We pray and believe that it's true, that it's right, and it's good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing one last song together.